Welcome to the Early Value NFL Betting Podcast. We're on to week 11. Tonight's guest, bringing back somebody who I had on in the off-season, real great mind in the NFL handicapping world, and it's Sharp Clark. How are we, Sharp Clark? We're good. good. It's good yeah. to be back on here. I always, always love chatting the NFL with, with someone from my original homeland. Definitely. <laughs> For people who maybe missed the off-season show, uh, just always from... from Previously from England, now now residing in America and taking the NFL world by storm. So good to see an Englishman doing doing well out there. Yeah, although sometimes the NFL is taking me by storm. So we you know we we, we, we blows, <laughs> isn't it? Oh yes, the uh, the variants of the NFL from never know what you're going to get on a Sunday. So yeah. and how how's the season been so far for you? It's been up and down. Uh, there's there's been a lot of teams that you would expect to kind of come back down to, you know, to, to regress essentially. I think, I think handicappers who handicap based on, you know, this type of statistic is, you know, likely to regress. For example, you know, if a team wins a game because they converted 15 out of 15 third downs, you know, you can't project that team to convert hundred percent of third downs moving forward. It's just not how things work. So you might you might see an angle and say, well, they're likely to regress. And so if if they convert only 50 percent, which would still be you know first or second in the NFL, then they would have had this result. That type of handicapping, I think, has been less successful this season than in some prior seasons. The teams that are doing, quote unquote, unsustainable things to succeed are still covering the spread. <laughs> and so. I think there's been a lot of uh, a lot of difficulty for people that have that kind of handicapping technique this season. Yeah, and uh, so with that, what team or or maybe players as such would you say has caught you off guard this season? Maybe you were a little bit lower on when we spoke in the off season to now you're looking at it and had to change some of the way you you maybe perceived these teams or players to be. It's a good question, and I think there's. I think there's two different types of surprises and there are teams that have surprised me with their record or with their performance against the spread uh, that I haven't necessarily adjusted that much in my ratings because, you know, so, so my, my rating system is built on watching every snap and grading how effective each team is. And so, uh, you know, if I expect a team to be less successful moving forward, they're not going to grade very highly in my system. And so the giants are the number one example. They are, I think they're seven and two now. And they are still, I think, my 27th ranked team or 28th ranked team, uh, which is which is a huge gap. And so even though they've had a surprising set of results, they're still basically where they were when I started the season. They're still basically the same team. They're well coached. They're making really good decisions. They're being really smart with how they're employing their offensive weapons, which are limited. Um, and so all that's very good, but it's not likely to lead to actual long-term success. Whereas yeah. I think... I think a more an example of a team where I had low expectations coming in that I have materially upgraded based on the play this year would be the Miami Dolphins. Their offense has surprised me. What Mike McDaniel has been able to do with the weapons they have there, you know, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell are so fast and Raheem Mostert is so fast too, that he's basically got all this speed to work with to spread out the defense. And then he's got Tua making these really, really quick decisions. He takes the ball he looks at one side of the field, 
And whichever is the most open opportunity, he's just throwing it. So that takes away the pass rush. It, it takes away the impact of having a, a bad offensive line. It means you don't have to run the ball and it's working. And so that that's a team that I've materially upgraded based on the play this season. Yeah, definitely. I'm a, uh... I've just uh, just seen news coming through then, just quickly change subject. The Buffalo Bills game has just been moved to uh, Detroit for uh, for Sunday. So I imagine wow, we're okay. going to see a massive rush quickly on that over that has been slammed to 42 and a half is quickly yeah. going to be going up um, yeah. very, very fast. I don't know whether you are live betting this as we're speaking. Um but it, it's I been imagine, taken off the board. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I imagine most places have quickly taken that down. Um, typical while you're online to uh, on a podcast that something like that would break. Um, Are they moving it to Detroit? Is it? Yes. Yeah. So indoors, yeah. so that's going to that total is going to fly back up now. That you imagine when that opens back uh, back up, it's uh, you're talking probably back to where it was around the 47, 47 and a half yeah. number. Um, yeah. a little bit surprising uh, but then if the weather is going to be as bad as what it is they can't really cancel the game um, so it makes it makes sense for for that to happen um, yeah. right well we can't do a lot with that so back to uh, back to your point yeah Miami uh, we're here a lot now with two of the MVP talk but would you put him in that based on is it more what's around him than, than Tua would you say from what you watch it, it's everything. So I, I don't want to discredit Tua because what he's doing is really impressive. And I don't think you can just plug in any quarterback and have the level of success that he's having in that offense. But the only reason he's able to do that is because of the scheme and because of the weapons that he has. I, I think if either Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle got hurt, I think we'd see a massive downgrade in that offense. Uh, like think about it like this. Like when, when Tyreek Hill was on the Chiefs, basically over the course of four seasons teams started bracketing hill more and more and more and more and it got to the point where hill wasn't making any big plays because they were just bracketing hill all they could do was throw to kelsey you know throw the running backs they didn't really have another receiver that could occupy the other side of the field and keep secondaries honest the dolphins if you bracket hill jalen waddle is going to burn you every time so they're forced to not play tyree kill the way they played him in kansas city and that's making all the difference. If, if Waddle got hurt, they would start bracketing Hill, and I think the whole thing would slow down. If uh, if it wasn't for Mike McDaniel and his schemes, I think Tua would still be struggling. And so I I think I recognize the value that that Tua brings, which is quick decision making, pinpoint accuracy when he's on platform, um, and and when everything's functioning, he's like the perfect sort of orchestrator of what's happening on the field. But it, he he still lacks the creativity. He's still not able to make throws off platform. He still doesn't handle pressure well. Like we saw, okay, and and, and it's almost cost them. The thing is, they've gotten yeah. away with it. They've won every game that two has played. But think of all the near interceptions against Pittsburgh. Uh -huh. Four four of them got dropped by defenders, and they only won that game by six points. Against the Bears, they had a fourth and one late in the game, up by three, and Tua had all the time in the world. But no one was open on the left because the defense had closed yeah, off that know. side of the field. He went to the right, and there was a wide open guy like five yards downfield, and he just missed him. Yeah. And it was like those types of plays, you can't afford that. Luckily, there was a non-call on a defensive pass interference that kept the Dolphins to win that game against the Bears. But they probably should have lost that game against the Bears because of that, that throw. So 
I think it's going to cost them when they start playing more uh, intense competition. So I don't think Tua should be an MVP conversation, not when uh, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen are playing the way they are. Yeah, I think it was Durham Smith. I think he tried hitting. I, I remember seeing it. And, uh, and yeah, he just literally missed it. I'm in the final two of a survivor and the person I'm up against actually had Miami that week. So I was cheering on the Bears, obviously, massively in the game. So when I seen that incompletion, I was like, yes, come on, this is my chance. And uh, it didn't work out. And we're still going now uh, into this week, still final two. So, um, so yeah, sometimes you uh, need that bit of luck. But you're right, Mike McDaniels, even at the 49ers, they like to get players in space. And you can see with two... Um, with Waddle and Hill, perfect players to get into space and then make all the yards after the catch. As you say, Raheem, most up so fast. Uh, the Giants, would you say, let's see, I spoke with, I think, I don't know if I spoke with Las Vegas Chris about this or I can't remember now, about being undervalued to the public, to maybe the pros. Uh, there seems to be a lot of pros that are still won't I won't bet on the Giants and that perhaps the public seem to be betting a lot on the Giants. Do you see that changing anytime soon? For me, it, it like what other people are doing with the bets doesn't really matter. It's it's more about you know, do do I anticipate how successful do I anticipate the offense to be and how successful do I anticipate defense to be in each matchup? And based on you know all my metrics. The, the Giants offense is not a particularly successful offense. They, they run the ball on early downs, not all that well. They set up a lot of third downs, but they've been converting these third downs by, you know, small margins and keeping drives alive. And they've been defensively, they've been really opportunistic and, you know, making big plays and big moments that like swing the end game and that type of play, right. Slowing the game down on offense drawing out drives, trying to reduce the number of possessions, and then playing a high variance blitz heavy defense to create variance is the way you want to play football if you have the worst team. Because you are you are reducing the number of opportunities the other team has to beat you and then creating more randomness that you know can swing in either direction. And right now that's been favoring them. But again, you know, if you believe in regression to the mean, if you believe in you know, predictable metrics, it's not likely to be sustained, especially if they up the competition level. You know, if they do make the playoffs, it, 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 they're not a team that can make a run in the playoffs. They're, they're just not good enough to string together four wins against good teams and win the Super Bowl. It's, that's not how they're built. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're right. And, and that will be the case if they do make it to the playoffs. They'll be quite big underdogs, I suspect, with whoever they face it in that game. It just... It, it, Lead me to a point just next week. I seen a look headline that they're plus seven at the minute against Dallas, and it just intrigued me on that line. What, um, how that felt between being undervalued or overvalued in, in that sort of game. That's why I, I sort of wanted to mention it because I think I would normally say I think you'll see some money on the Giants because they'll see records and they'll see plus seven, um, on the road, uh, and the record is seven and two, maybe. Uh, whatever it will be next week, uh, probably eight and two there against the Lions this week. But then Dallas are quite heavily bet as a public team anyway, so it probably settles around what it is. There probably isn't going to be a big a big jump either either side on that bet. 
Yeah, and, and betting markets are really good at identifying teams that aren't as good as their record. You know, it's not like the Giants have ever been overvalued in the betting markets. They're they're seven and two, and yet they're three point favorites against the Lions yeah. at home. Yeah. Um, so so it's not there's not some kind of massive misperception between what the markets are setting and the quality of the team. Everybody who's betting knows the Giants are an average at best team and betting them accordingly. So yeah, definitely. And I I think they got a little bit lucky this week against the Texans. They I don't know. They just the Texans probably could have made that a lot closer than maybe what the final scoreline suggested. Uh, I agree, oh. and and this this is actually a good example. This game was a good mm-hmm. example of what my what my methodology captures. So, uh, the Giants like had had pretty good you know EPA per play, and and they had like a big passing touchdown, and so those kinds of things tend to reflect well on a team's stats. But if you watch that play, it was third and seven. Yeah, Daniel Jones took the snap and got pressured like crazy, and just kind of like blindly threw it out to the flat. And, you know, it's amazing that it was a completion, first of all. I mean, good, yeah. good for Daniel Jones to get it out, but it was a low, low percentage throw. Yeah. Slayton picks it up close to the turf, but catches it. Yeah. Short of the first down, the defender tries to tackle him and just kind of like shakes off. And then Slayton escapes down the sideline and then, you know, another missed tackle yeah. and it's yeah. a 56 touchdown. And yeah. like, I play the probabilities, right? So I'm looking at that play and being like, there was a good chance he would get sacked. There's a good chance it was incomplete. There's a good chance that he caught it and got tackled short of the line. All of those things lead to a turnover. Whereas the result instead was a touchdown for the Giants, 50 yards. Yeah. That type of stuff, you know, if you're relying on those kinds of plays, like enjoy them. If you're a fan, like enjoy those moments. That's great. But if you're betting, you're not wanting to bet on those events repeating in that fashion. Yeah. And that's a great breakdown of it because you're right. And it is a bit of the story of Texan season that, that really makes so many bad missed tackles. And this wasn't the first time it's happened for them. Um, it seems to be a constant yeah. thing for the te- Texans that they're just they just cannot tackle. Um, they're looking really bad. Uh, just going on to on to last week and uh, and upsets. Obviously, we've seen Washington Commanders take away the Eagles' first first loss of the season. Um, in some ways, in hindsight, I think now I think Monday night live national TV. This was a massive game for Washington and maybe not as much for Philadelphia. Uh, do you see anything in that get anything that would concern you for the Eagles? No, not really. The Eagles were the better team in that game overall. And they also, in fact, my effectiveness ratings were pretty much spot on to what I expected from both teams. So it, 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 to me, the result wasn't really that surprising. The score was surprising, but a lot went into that score that doesn't reflect, you know, like we were talking about converting third downs at a high rate, but Washington converted such an incredible amount of third downs. And then Philadelphia had, you know, a, a deep, a deep bomb to AJ Brown that he almost caught turned in an interception and then a deep pass to, uh, I can't remember who it was, maybe Quetzal Watkins, Quetzal but Watkins, he caught probably. it and then fumbled it. Yeah. Um, those types of things were, were kind of crazy and random. Um, but I wasn't that high on the Eagles going into the game. I, I think they are a team that has benefited from health and schedule and they, they avoid mistakes. You know, they're well coached. They've got a really good defense, but I don't think they're a dominant team. And I think people were treating them like they were in the tier of teams with Buffalo and Kansas city. Uh-huh. And I don't think they're there. In fact, I think, I don't even think they're best in the NFC. I think they're worse than the 49ers overall. Yeah. And uh, people who do uh, uh... Are good listeners to me every week on here. 
will will know that I've said this nearly every week of the podcast I've been on this season that there's something off with this Eagles team. I just I really think we'll see them get caught somewhere in the playoffs. They'll get caught out. Some I just there's some nagging feeling with me that they're gonna fall into a game. Hertz is gonna force too much and we're gonna see them get um get caught out somewhere. Um uh, absolutely just, and Earlier in the season, there was a—I think it was against the Cowboys. They were—they were winning going going in halftime, yeah. but they got the ball back with something like forty-five seconds left or a minute left. It was—it was an amount of time, and they just kneeled on the ball in the halftime. Yeah, and I tweeted about it, and it was saying, you know, compare this to the Chiefs against the Bills, who scored a field goal when they got the ball back with twelve seconds left. Mm-hmm. When your when your philosophy is so built on the run and conservatism you're not prepared to make those extra effort you know three points before the half in a miracle situation they're not built that way and what we saw when they were losing to washington late in the fourth quarter was they were running the ball like up the middle with you know down by yeah. down by five points with yeah. three minutes left like you've got to get the you got to get going in the yeah. passing game and they didn't. All they have is the run game and the deep shots. And I think that's not the consistent formula you need to succeed in the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like I say, couldn't agree more with it. Uh, another one, obviously, the Bills-Vikings. I mean, you you couldn't put that into, into anything that on the one-yard line after they've come off with a great start uh, to then fumble on the one. It, what you've just said then about how you factor in bets. You've got to take that them seven points straight off for the uh, for the Vikings a- again. Uh, I mean, have you seen a crazier ending? <laughs> the, yes, but but not many. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to um, be what my, my daughter she doesn't like Buffalo. Fair play to her, but um, she uh, she was down watching. I was like, ah, oh, they've, they've lost somewhere. The Buffalo have won the game. And uh, and then I just I didn't even look up. I was looking at my computer, looking at some scores, and I've just heard the commentators. And I've looked up, and you, I just couldn't believe that uh, he'd put the ball on the ground and and the Vikings were on top of it. Yeah, and I mean it was a tough situation to begin with because yeah. they're they're trying to snap the ball inside the one, you know, inches from the goal line. There's a safety. The way that the Vikings defensive line was getting penetration, there was a safety possibility, which would have set up a potential gaming drive. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the fumble was a bit random. For me, I think the, the variance happened before that in the game. You know, you've got they were up 27 to 10, and and then you know Dalvin Cook busts off an 81 yard touchdown run, which he's not been great at, at those big plays this season. He had one run over 30 yards prior to that. And so that was a little bit random, you know, Josh Allen's interceptions. It's a problem. Like, yeah. like, I don't think that they're completely random, but the timing of them is, is somewhat random, right? He's, he's not going to have two bad picks in every game. Yeah. He, he's going to clean that up in some games and he's going to have make mistakes in other games. So the timing of those mistakes was really big. Um, the Justin Jefferson cash on fourth and 18, like, you know, the defender doesn't, kind of back end the ball that's an incomplete pass and the yeah. bills win the game and yeah. then there was another you know third and long i think where justin Jefferson made an insane catch like again players make plays and that's all part of the game but when you're talking about you know repeatable performances justin jefferson's not going to make that catch in every game yeah. and so I, I actually made the bills uh nine points better than the vikings in that game so for me it was a, a bills win by nine 
um, which is about what my numbers made it. Again, yeah. another another one where the performances matched my expectation. And so I'm not downgrading or upgrading either team there. Yeah. And I think it was, I think it was in overtime, the, the other big catch, as you say, it took them down to the two yard line from around about 40, maybe, I think, something like that. Um, very quirky stat as well that the Buffaloes have, the, the, sorry, the Buffaloes, the Buffalo Bills haven't scored a second half touchdown since the Chiefs game. Uh, I mean, that, that's that just, <laughs> it just seems such a, a quirky stat that there can, there can no reason to it. It's just, that will all change as well. It just seems a, a strange one. Yeah, and I mean, some people think that Brian Dable not being there impacts their ability to adjust in game and maybe now adjust midseason where things are maybe not clicking as much. And, and there might be some validity to that, especially given how good Brian Dable has been in New York Orchestra in that offense. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Raiders Colts, again, another one that the Raiders are, well, really putting themselves out of all all chance of maybe having the season in the off in the off season, expecting to be a playoff contender seems to be falling apart very fast. Any yeah, definitely. thing is it a McDaniel's problem or is it a Derek Carr problem or is it just a whole franchise problem? You know, there's definitely something going on in the locker room because we had, I think, three defenders were healthy scratches and no explanation was given. It was just an, an internal issue. Um, so I, I feel like when you're scratching players for internal issues, that's not a good sign. And then when their linebacker got hurt, the, the next man up retired. <laughs> like, he, he would rather... Yeah. It was. Yeah. Uh, Hernandez, I can't remember who it was, but he, no. he he would have been next man up and he retired instead. And so not Martinez. And so yeah. you've got you've got a guy that would rather not play football than play on that team. And and I don't I don't know anything about what's going on. You know, I think it's silly to project from the outside in. Mm. But what I look at on the field is a team that doesn't really know its identity. You know, it's it's not it's not doing anything particularly well. Yeah. And without Hunter Renfro and, and Darren Waller on offense, it's all Devontae Adams. And it, it just kind of feels like it, it, does, it doesn't feel like they have an edge. It doesn't feel like they have the um, the cohesiveness that a good team has. And I think their record contributes to that. It's, it's easy to be, you know, super hyped about your team when you're winning and it's tough when you're losing. And I think the Raiders have lost too much uh, to, to piece anything together this season. And, and I think a lot of talk about McDaniels on the hot seat, I, I just I struggle to see him going. First year head coach, it, it doesn't look good on a franchise letting a first year head coach go anyway, um, unless there's some serious problems a la uh, Urban Mayor last year. But um, I still think we see him getting at least another season at uh, at the Raiders. I, I just I don't see them letting him go that that quick as a, a knee jerk. Derek Carr, on the other hand. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if we see him back next year um, or if they draft a quarterback. Well, any any rookie they draft would be a downgrade from Derek Carr and most free agents they acquire would be a downgrade from Derek Carr. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what their goal would be. You know, maybe they're just trying to blow it all up. But I think I think if they want to try to compete next year, Derek Carr is probably their best option. You know, I, I still think he's he's a fine quarterback. He's just not going to elevate your team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I... And that that's probably it. Is is how is is 
the elevate it sort of like the Chiefs' problem with Alex Smith um, before Patrick Mahomes. He was he was good and get you to the playoffs, but you wanted to get to that Super Bowl. I think Reed and Co obviously noticed that and went to the Mahomes way, and eventually with it, it obviously paid off. Um, yeah. Whether the Raiders will have to do that, and it seemed strange getting no pressure. The Colts have been giving up plenty of sacks this season, and when you got Chandler Jones, Max Crosby. And I look back on the game and they just didn't seem to be able to get any any pass rush to, to even put uh, Matt Ryan under pressure, which seemed a little bit strange as well. Uh, Chandler Jones doesn't seem to be performing probably as well as what they expected when they paid him this offseason. Yeah, it, it was really concerning. It's been concerned. The pass rush has been concerning all year for the Raiders, considering that who they have. And it doesn't, doesn't help that their secondary isn't that good to begin with. And then Nate Hobbs got hurt. So the longer, you know, the, the easier it is for receivers to get open, the harder it is to get home at the pass rush. So I think there's a, a mutual problem there with the Raiders. Yeah, definitely. Moving into week 11, uh, I know there's a couple of games that you like. We're, we're late in the week. So Hopefully, it's given enough time to be able to go through and and see any that you like. Yeah, I let's talk about the Vikings and Cowboys because I think this is going to be a game where people line up on both sides to bet it, and and so <laughs> having a position is fun. It's also my strongest angle of the uh, of the week, and and I I bet the Cowboys. I short of a field goal, I mean the Cowboys. Are first of all a better team. They've they've performed at a higher level than the Vikings this season. When you took look at all the circumstances, especially when you factor in that you know they've only played a few games with Dak Prescott and they've been better on offense with Dak than they were with Cooper Rush. So the Cowboys are a a the best version of themselves right now. On the other side, the Vikings have squeaked by with wins over you know whatever teams, that, and like you know. Great. They're winning. They're winning close games. They yeah. went into Buffalo and they won a really tough game and they deserve credit for that. And they and they got credit for that. They're going to win the division. They're going to make the playoffs and they're going to have a chance. But they're not they're not measuring up on a play by play basis as a above average team for me. They are they're an average team. They're the same old Minnesota Vikings. There's their Kirk Cousins will, you know, throw accurately when he has when he has time and when his guys are open. But when Justin Jefferson's covered up, he becomes a shell. And it's pretty easy to tell early on in the game whether or not he's going to just kind of crumble or whether he's got it that day. And the Cowboys' pass rush is relentless. They Their, their pass defense in general is way better than their run defense. And so teams have been able to capitalize against Dallas by running the ball against them. The Vikings have one of the highest pass rates over expectation in the league this season. So I think their identity is to pass. So they're playing into the... Dallas's defensive strengths and I don't think that's going to go well they also have a really good cornerback uh, Trayvon Diggs to you know lock up Jefferson he, even if he doesn't lock him up which is impossible he can slow him down force enough mistakes force force Cousins to look at other options and I think that's going to be tough for the for the Vikings uh, offense and then on defense the Vikings are just such a passive zone heavy you know we're going to sit back and let you let you take the easy stuff. We're going to prevent the big plays. You can take the easy stuff, yeah. which is the way that a lot of defenses are designed in, in today's NFL to stop offenses like Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. But the Cowboys are fine with that. They're like, oh, great. We'll take the five-yard run. We'll take the five-yard run. We'll take the six-yard out. We'll take the tight end, you know, doing a hook six yards downfield. Like 
they're perfectly comfortable taking what the defense gives and the Vikings give a lot. So I think this is a matchup on both sides that, that favors the Cowboys. The Cowboys are a better team. Vikings do have a strong home field, but I, that doesn't overcome the, all the advantages that I see for the Cowboys here. No, I absolutely love it to be this game as a talking point because you're right when you see it from both sides. And when I first looked at the lines and I seen the Vikings plus two, I thought, wow, Vikings definitely shouldn't be underdogs. But usually if I think that strongly, that quickly, I like to hold back then and, and just think and just see things because such a mad rush like that, I think there was a very quick recency bias of Dallas had just blew a lead against the Packers, lost as five and a half point favourites, or it closed a lot lower than that. But um, the Vikings had just pulled off a massive upset win um, against the Bills. So it was a very easy, rash thought to just go straight Vikings here shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be fav- uh, underdogs at home, and then everyone I'm hearing saying the same thing, and you're the first person, and I'm glad to hear someone say Dallas because I don't see the line moving much, and all I'm hearing is Vikings, which again is always a big warning sign to me that well, if everyone's saying Vikings, and all I'm hearing is Vikings shouldn't be underdogs at home, yet they're still on a Thursday underdogs at home something there's something more to this than what maybe we're all missing and i think you're right i think there's i think dallas are the better team um and i think there's more to it than on the offense what the vikings give that middle of that field for the vikings is not good at all Schultz, lamb when he moves into the slot they will take like you say all them small small catches five six yards a play Pollard, Zeke, maybe back. If he's not, it wouldn't really concern me. The way Pollard's running the ball, uh, uh, it wouldn't matter to me. Um, You're right, Jefferson, uh, he's not going to be shut down totally by Diggs. Diggs, sometimes ball hawking can give up a big play or two. Uh, Likes to try and get the ball sometimes instead of actually the man. But I still think that the more I'm leaving this game, the more I'm coming round to that I don't want Vikings at all anymore. Um, and it was just an easy decision at the start of the week to think Vikings. Um, but I think you're right. I think it's a really good breakdown of what you said. And I think if if Dallas hadn't blew that lead, if they hadn't have, um, if they hadn't have thrown away the 14-point lead and maybe had the turnovers when they did, I think uh, I think we wouldn't see as much of a of an inkling to the Vikings is what we're what we're probably seeing at the minute. Yeah. And I always like to be I, I like to be able to articulate the other side as well. Mm-hmm. Like I think in order to be good at handicapping, you have to be able to articulate why you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And I the Cowboys coaching, you know, you, you got a, a coaching advantage for the Vikings. Like Kevin McConnell has done a great job of getting the best out of that team. And their pass rush is really starting to get home. Uh, that's something that wasn't really showing up early in the season. So if there's some trending, you know, happening here, it's it's that maybe the Vikings defensive line can can get to Dak Prescott. Um, but even that, I think Prescott is is one of the smartest quarterbacks in the league, and I, I think he he can you know manipulate defenses when he when when they play softer in coverage. I think I think it, it's a situation where. The Vikings have done a lot of impressive things, but what the Cowboys have, the way the Cowboys have done it has been much more sustainable in my view. Yeah, definitely. 
the game I wanted to talk about, it's a bit of a high total. It's Bears Atlanta. It was 50. I see it's creeping down now to 49. And for me, I can only look to the under. I just think this is two of the run heavier teams in the NFL. We shouldn't see big chunk passing yards. Probably see about 400 air yards to pits as normal. But I'm not expecting him to uh, to come down with them as, as per most other weeks. Uh, I just think it's a lot of points to get when two teams are more than happy to run, 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 which will bring that clock straight down and quick. Uh, is there? I assume it's this high because of how bad both defenses are. Yeah, primarily that's that's exactly right. Yeah. I actually have on my so part of my process is <clears throat> so some bets I try to make early and then and then by the time I've gone through all the matchups, which usually is about Thursday, I I have kind of a betting menu of potential bets to make and additional ones I've already made. And then over the over from Thursday to Sunday, I'm deciding based on injury news or line movement whether or not I want to pull the trigger. And one of mine that I've written down is consider the under in in Atlanta, Chicago. Um I, I've actually already scratched it out though because, because of what you say. The defenses are terrible. I mean, these are two of the worst defenses, if not the two worst defenses yeah. in the NFL. And specifically, what I what I think can happen in this game is I remember watching Carolina against Atlanta and how wide open the Panthers receivers were downfield. Yeah. You know, PJ Walker missed them multiple times um, in both matchups against Atlanta. And I think Justin Fields, when and Atlanta also does not get pressure on the quarterback. So when Justin Fields is not pressured and has time to sit back there and wait for things to develop, I think bad things happen for the defense because he's got so much talent and he's getting more comfortable and more confident. His problem is quick processing. And so you need to be able to blitz and get pressure on him and corral him inside the pocket in order to succeed. Atlanta doesn't have the tools for that. So that, that's one thing is, is I could see some big plays by Chicago and I could see drives ending in touchdowns. And then on the other side of the ball, you know, Mariota is is similar. Like when he has time in the pocket, when he has time to survey the field, Chicago has no pass rush now. Robert Quinn's gone. So he, he's no longer absorbing double teams. They're not getting home. You know, Ro- Roquan Smith is gone. They got no toughness in the middle. Atlanta should be able to do whatever they want. And we saw earlier in the season, Atlanta put up a lot of points against a lot of teams when they could successfully run the ball because they're kind of a, if it's working, it keeps working team. And if it's not working, it's not working. You saw that against the Panthers. So I think it'll work against the bears. And my fear is just that, yes, it's a slow game. Yes. There's a lot of runs, but if, you know, most drives in in a touchdown, you're going to clear that number. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. And that Carolina game is, is probably a good example because, what was that, 65-ish points? 60, in the 60s anyway, wasn't it? Including yeah. Overtime. yeah, so obviously that big play at the end, yeah, be some uh, bad memories on that uh, big play to DJ Moore. I had a family member who was waiting on a 14 part like Atlanta minus the uh, points and, uh, and they hit that DJ Moore on that last, last pass. So yeah, yeah, you're right. And it's a fair point, Uh they could that run game can open up some of that pass action play in, and then with the defenses being as bad as what they are, maybe we'll see more chunk plays than what I'm I'm imagining. Um, we'll say on, on some of them. I will say there there is an angle for the under here. I mean, mm-hmm. there at, at forty nine and a half is definitely where I'd consider playing it. Um, you know, Justin Fields has been lights out for four weeks straight, but every one of those defenses plays heavy man defense, and 
when you've got a mobile quarterback, it's easier against man defense because one, the longer the longer he's scrambling around, the easier it is for a receiver to kind of shake his man. Like playing defense, playing cornerback one on one in the NFL is really tough. But if you only have to do it for two to three seconds, you can you can close someone's route off. When you have to do it for five six seconds, it's literally impossible. So that's one thing. Two. In, in man defense, when the people are downfield, they're typically not looking at the quarterback, uh-huh. right? When you're playing zone, everyone's got their eyes on the quarterback and you're playing your area. And so when the quarterback starts scrambling, everyone's keyed in and you can corral him. But when you're playing man, it's more likely to catch people with their backs turned and you create a big scramble. So uh, Atlanta plays a heavy zone defense. So there's a chance that Justin Fields will have a you know a major down game compared to what we've seen. Um, so I think if, if we're going under, that's one of the angles you're looking at. Yeah, that that is good because uh, I had Tage from the uh, from the talk t- talking the points podcast last week, taking the points podcast last week, and that was his worry as a Detroit Lions fan was they played so much man that yeah. uh, Fields could run wild, and as we've seen, he he did for over one hundred and forty yards. So, so that is a good point. Uh, any others that you that you like this week? Yeah, um, there's there's a few games. I feel like all these games are sitting on three to three and a half, mm. <laughs> and I'm finding myself on a lot of the underdogs. Um, yeah, one team that I've been looking at is the is the Jets because it, it popped up to three and a half today, and this this is a tough bet to make because you've got Zach Wilson going against Bill Belichick, and you know, anytime you've got an inexperienced, bad decision making quarterback going up against a you know Bill Belichick defense it's trouble. I actually bet on the Patriots last time these two teams faced and, and won the bet, which was nice, but watching that game, I came away thinking the jets should have won outright. They, their defense is absolutely legitimate. They are physical. They are dominant on the defensive line. They stop the run. They get to the quarterback and on the back end, they don't play single coverage, man which is why Mac Jones is, is good at capitalizing against. They play zone. They play, you know, too high. They they take away those those deep shots. And when the Patriots were completely unable to do anything, they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't pass the ball. The only reason they won that game is because of Zach Wilson's three turnovers. And, you know, fair, Zach Wilson is also in this game. <laughs> yeah. But when he, he came out of that game, he went into Buffalo, or maybe the game was in New York, but against Buffalo. And... He focused on releasing the ball quickly on time. And he's actually been an okay quarterback when he's throwing on time in the pocket. He makes mistakes when he holds onto the ball and tries to make plays out of the pocket, right? And so what I think is after winning that game against Buffalo, and in part because of how he played, that positive reinforcement, that that immediate feedback loop of, wow, if I do this, I can beat the Bills. And then two weeks of you know preparing for this game against the Patriots, I think there's going to be a huge effort on his part to get the ball out quick, to you know play within the limits of the offense. And and I think if he does that, the Jets are simply a better team than the Patriots. And so getting three and a half points for me in a game that should be ugly and low scoring, um, I think is is arguably worth it to to fade the classic bad quarterback against Bill Belichick narrative. And, and again, it's a little bit, uh, as I was just speaking, about the recency bias that a lot of people are just going to remember Zach Wilson interceptions that game where he was under pressure and he threw some threw some bad passes in, in that. But you're right, I was on the Patriots that week as well, so it paid off okay. 
but it's it was such it was one of the most frustrating probably games I've probably bet on because they were down in the red zone, they were only getting field goals or whatever. And as you say, and that is because that Jets defense is lights out so good. And there's nothing on that Patriots offense for me personally that's gonna scare me. Nothing, no apart from wide receiver. I mean, Mars is okay, steady, catch a lot. Not really a game breaker, as I'd call it. The running backs, yeah, they, they do good. They run the ball well. But I think getting the hawk, yeah, um, I'll just look to the Jets. Uh, they're both coming off their boys, so there's nothing there to, to sort of play into anyone added rest or that. Um, Yeah, I, I, I just... I think you're right. It'd be low scoring and a low scoring game. I'd be happy to take the take the three and a half and and just hope that uh, that we get a week where yeah he doesn't throw maybe some some of them some of them bad throws and and gets too much uh, too much under pressure. That defense should keep them right in the game. Right to the, even if he doesn't play that well, I still believe the Jets defense will keep them in that game right into the death and. When you're sitting on that three and a half, as you say, it can be very important come them last two minutes, that that hook. So, so yeah, like it as well. Yeah. And there, I mean, there's, there's two other angles here. One, one isn't something that I typically play, but I know some people do is when you have two teams that have played previously, uh, a lot of, a lot of betters like to bet the team that lost the first game, because the thinking is, the the winning team leaves that game and says hey you know we're doing the right thing let's keep doing this whereas the losing team leaves the game and says we need to we need to do better we need to fix this we need to fix this we need to and so in the rematch the team that lost tends to have a little bit more of a sort of focus on how to be better and in this case i think the jets were already the better team in the first matchup like i said so you've got the better team maybe having that extra motivation to like be better in this game. Whereas the Patriots might be, well, we just got to keep doing what we're doing. And if they keep doing what they're doing, they likely won't, won't win the game. Um, and then the second angle is the Jets actually have a, a really fast, good run game. My, Michael Carter is very, very fast and their schemes are well-designed. They've got, you know, that, that type of Shanahan offense. And I think that's how you ultimately beat the Patriots is you run the ball. Well, you take care of the ball. And, and I think the Jets are, are built for that as long as Zach Wilson isn't doing back breaking picks. Yeah. And I think James Robinson will be okay at the Jets as well. I, I, yeah. I still don't think he's a, I think there's still a bit left life left in him coming back from the injury and obviously getting traded there. And the Pats, Pats do give up some running yards. They give up a lot to the pass catching backs as well. So might see some success there. Um, and, and yeah, to the point you've just made then about people betting the other side, and it's one of the total points I've always been told about that. If in the first game, if the total points goes way over a la Carolina Atlanta earlier this season, in the second game, it's a very good look to be betting the under because the total is generally a little bit higher because everyone's thinking of the game that's just gone. Um, so it makes sense to play the under and if we had done it on the recent Carolina and Atlanta game, the, the second game went under, though just, but it, it, it did go under after the 70 points that we we just spoke about. So you're right. I think there is a an angle there for different teams. And as you say, if one was probably did play better in that game uh, and they lost, then uh, then it makes sense to play them this week. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, 
I wanted to ask you about, obviously, when the Bills game was going to be in Buffalo with the weather. And it was just a quick question of where does weather fall into your handicap? Now we're now we are getting into the, the more of the winter side of the year and we're going to start seeing some bad weather games. Is there a certain point where you then will take weather into consideration, whether it be uh, winds over a certain miles per hour, whether it's rain, whether it's snow? What is your your guideline for yourself? Yeah, so it comes into play in a couple of different ways during my process. The first, I'll, I'll go chronologically throughout the week. So the first is if there's early indications of potentially significant weather. So obviously in the Buffalo game, we had, you know, threats of snow, threats of wind above 20 sustained. Um, those types of things really impact the game, mostly the wind. Um, when that happens, if I like an under or if I like a, you know, maybe a big, under, like, for, for example, the Browns were getting eight and a half against the Bills early in the week. Um, and I, you know, if, if I lean Browns in that game, the weather, if it does come in, is going to push it towards a closer, tighter game, lower scoring, uh, favoring the Browns run game, that kind of stuff. So I would anticipate that eight and a half to end up lower if the weather is bad. Whereas I think it would pretty much stay there if the weather is fine, because assuming I think that's the right spread, right? Then I'd be more likely to bet that early in anticipation of the weather if I like it. If I don't like it, I'm just not going to bet it, right? Like if I if I like the bills, I just I leave it alone. It's fine. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play the game where I try to get value on the weather and then try to play it back. Like that's not really my style. But it will help trigger an early bet if I think the line is going to move as a result of weather. So that's that's the first thing. And then when I'm handicapping later in the week and really trying to you know hammer out my positions, it you know winds make a big difference, right? Winds above 15 miles an hour sustained are going to impact the passing game and the kicking game, and so most directly that impacts the over under. It also impacts the way that teams match up against each other. And so a team that has a really good offensive line built on running the ball with kind of a power run game is going to be benefited in a game that has less options for passing, right? So you're talking about teams like the Browns, teams like the Patriots, teams like, I don't know, maybe the Lions, although Jared Goff kind of counters that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just teams that are built that way, right? Um, Whereas teams that rely on on passing the ball downfield kind of take a hit in that in those weather conditions. So I will I will rarely, if I ever play, you know, oh well the weather's bad. I want to play this team against the spread right. because the spread almost always accounts for it. But when I'm doing my handicaps and creating my own numbers, it's a factor in how I how I land on on the game ultimately, right? So if I let's say I, you know, I do my handicaps and I I get to the point where I'm like, okay, this total should be 42 and a half. Um, and I look up the the numbers and it's 42 and a half. And I look up the weather and it says 15 miles an hour sustained winds, gusts up to 30 miles an hour or whatever. I'm like, maybe the under is a play because under no weather conditions, 42 and a half is my number. And that's the number I'm getting. If anything, the weather's going to bring this down, right? It's going to be harder to kick, you know, more going for it on fourth down, that kind of stuff. Um, so so it can be a, a push me over the edge to make a bet kind of angle. Um, but it's not something I consider at the outset. It's something I, I I put at the end of my handicap. And also, whenever I'm making a bet on an outdoor game, I'm always checking the weather. I just yeah. want to make sure I have a grasp of what the possibilities are. Yeah, that's right. You don't want to fall into a trap of of putting on the bet and then and then seeing the weather's going to change and no 
that you're, you're definitely not getting the best of the number because that number is uh, is only going to then go go one way if if you find out that there's bad bad weather due and unless you've bet the under vice versa um and i suppose with with that with with wind see i find snow i i think i see a lot of teams passing in snow and i think it's a very easy thing that when i see snow everyone's in such a rush to to bet the under but i've i've seen some chiefs games as i'm sure you have to say that uh, Mahomes just <laughs> just throws it around for fun. <laughs> a Denver game, I think maybe last year or the year before, springs to mind where he's just everyone was in such a rush to bet the under because there was uh so much snow forecast, and Mahomes just went absolutely wild. Um, yeah, yeah. There's there's a few impacts for that. Hmm. So the first is on a slick surface, the pass rush has a harder time getting home. Um, it, it's just you know. <laughs> without getting the traction on, on your feet, the, the offensive lineman's job is just so much easier to just kind of push push the defender on the ground. Um, so I think you get more time in the pocket. And then two, you know, when you have a receiver going against a defensive back, the receiver has the advantage of knowing where he's going to go, whereas the defensive back has to react to what the receiver is doing. And so if, if your ground is slick and wet and snowy, one cut can be all it takes to get open. And when you combine those two advantages for the offense, I think good offenses, you know, can capitalize on that. Tom Brady did it for years with the Patriots. And to, like you said, Patrick Mahomes has done it pretty much every snow game. He, he, yeah. Famous quote is, I, I think I'm a snow game guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And, and that's why I say it. That's why whether is you've got to be careful. Don't just, for me, don't just rush in because you're here. There's going to be a lot of snow. Don't, unless, unless you're going to buy the number, and get off the number very quickly. And I think what you were just saying then, you you don't do that. And I, I don't do that. Um, it's not a bet that I make. I, I quickly try and steal a number, knowing it's going to drop down a couple of points, then then bet the other way. It's just not something I really have the time to check enough weather reports day in, day out to be able to do that. Um, some people do. And, and, and yeah, I'm sure it works out great. And they get some big middles, um, we see it all the time, people talking about it. But just be careful if, you, if you're not looking at, at getting in and getting off a number when you see certain weather, just I think you've got to be very careful. You don't, you don't end up looking silly. Yeah, and it's also really important to check your, your book's specific rules, like in a scenario like this. So a lot of people bet the under when it was 47 earlier in the week, and then it went down to 41, 42. And then as soon as there was any word that there was a potential that this game would be moved to Detroit, mm. you got to check your book's rules, right? So, you know, most books, well, I guess books are pretty split. Some will say if they play in a different venue, then all bets are void. Some will say if they play in a different venue within eight days, it's still live action. And so if you bet you're under 47 and then yeah. they move it to, to Detroit and they're playing indoors, you know, you, you better believe in that under 47 because you're not getting any weather advantage now, right? Um, on the other hand, if you bet the under 47 and your plan was to get out and it got to 41 and there was any word, you better be buying that over 41 right away. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. I'd hope that the majority of people have got off them high numbers before that, that news come out. And it looks like it's opened at 48 and a half. It has over here in England. The total now is 48 and a half. So you're right. If you're you hadn't got off 47 then you're in a 
than you are. You're in a bit of a hole now. Um, obviously, we've been in Detroit as well. It, it, interesting one for Buffalo as well because they play in Detroit next Thursday at Thanksgiving as well. So uh, yeah. very strange. Must <laughs> back be back-to-back back. Back back home games in, in Detroit. So I'm not sure where that will fall in the handicapping issues next week when uh, when we hear the podcasts. But, uh, I think I think Josh Allen will be grateful to be playing indoors with his yeah. with his injury. If, uh, just getting hit in the cold, I just can't can't feel good for an, a man with an elbow injury. No, definitely. And uh, as much as a Chiefs fan, and and we, I want to get to the Super Bowl, and I, I I don't mind seeing other teams have have hurt players for the uh, for just the whole enjoyment of the NFL. You don't want to see good good players hurt. You you want them to play. You want to beat the best. You want the best on the field. Uh, so yeah hopefully he'll be back uh, Thursday night game uh, this will go out obviously tonight is there anything in this game tonight that you like have you been talked into player props yet from your friends Connor Allen at 4 for 4 is there anything the way you like you said in the off season no player props and I said I'm sure you'll be talked into someone I've seen you tweet a couple so yeah I to, uh, hear them now yeah, I, I tweet some, you know, <laughs> I my unit sizing is, I, so when I'm betting on a prop, I'm betting, you know, one fifteenth to one twentieth of the size of what I'm betting on a side or total or a side actually, because totals are a bit lower, but um, so it's not significant money, but it's, it's enough to, you know, to, to want to win. Um, you know, Ryan Noonan, who I also work with at 4-4, has actually been been doing some tackle props this year. Yes. And he's yes. killing it. Like yep. he is he has found a niche market and he is just destroying it. And it's really fun to watch. So I got I've hopped in on some of those. Uh and then you know, because I watch every snap. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I see these defenders in action all the time. And so it's nice to have some some action on them. Um tonight, I'm not sure. I, I haven't I haven't got to the point where I'm playing a prop. I because I, I've been breaking down uh, all the all the matchups mm-hmm. today, but um this it's another one where i think i think the the hook is a bit generous to give to tennessee mm-hmm. um like there's some injury concerns ben jones their center is hurt and i really hate betting on teams when their starting center is hurt yeah. it, it's been red flag for me um he's he's a good he's a good player too and so that is concerning the problem is my numbers make this so much closer to a pick em. and like the packers offense I don't see how the Packers offense is going to have any success here against the Titans. They they had some splash plays against Dallas, but outside of that, they've been they've been terrible this year. Their run heavy offense is going to be running into a really good run defense, yeah. and then they're going to be passing into really good coverage with receivers that can't get separation and a quarterback that gets frustrated when receivers don't get yeah. separation. So um, I don't really see the angle for for a Packers blowout other than the Titans offense is just so bad that they just don't do anything all game and the Packers get enough opportunities, but I don't see that happening because Derek Henry can run and the Packers can't stop the run. So the Titans will be able to do what they want to do. Uh, even if it's just slow and ugly, uh, another game where, where I think a low score will, will lend itself to some value on the underdog. Yeah, no, I, uh, I agree. Packers uh, struggle against the run. And when you've got someone like Henry there, they're going to do that. And it's an ideal game then set up for Tannehill with his play action and, Maybe hit trail on Burks now. He's come back from injury with a couple yep. of big plays. A uh, couple of little bets I like in the game is uh, the Packers team total rush under. Uh, I think that, like you said, I think the Titans' rush defense is really, really good. Um, yeah. Sort of co- correlates with maybe Aaron Rodgers over his passing attempts because 
you can't yeah. really run on the Titans, so a lot of quarterbacks are throwing. Um, and the uh, the other one I sort of like is Christian Watson under 45 and a half receiving yards. I think he had such a blow-up game Sunday against Dallas, three, three touchdowns. That again, I just think that we're getting probably a little bit overvalue here. Now, I'm sure he, he, he's going to get a deep target. And we've seen earlier on in the season, he dropped a couple of these deep targets against Dallas. It come off. He's, he's probably one of them variance plays that um, some weeks is going to haul in a big play. Other weeks is is not. I just think for me, 45 is just a little bit high. Um, yeah, he also he's also a player that will get some rushing attempts and so yeah when you have a receiver who's involved in in the end around game it can sometimes cap his receiving upside because mm -hmm. some of the plays designed for him are are not catches yeah yeah definitely uh but you're right and i would lean uh i'd lean titans definitely with uh with getting the hook and the under it's it's not a game i'm, I'm too overly excited about i must admit as you know, being in the UK, it's uh, at 20 past one in the morning. It's got to be a big game for me to want to be getting up and watch at 20 past one in the morning. Ideally, Chiefs. Um, yeah, I think I think you can skip this one. Uh, yeah. For me, on the prop side, I like your looks on the, the Packers rushing under and the, the Rodgers passing attempts over. Mm -hmm. For me, deciding between those two comes down to how you anticipate the Packers or the Titans offense to function because if they are successful running the ball, that's going to reduce overall play volume. Mm. And that's going to, that, so I would lean into the Packers rushing under. Mm. Whereas if you think the Packers are going to really struggle on offense, maybe Ben Jones is really significant. Maybe, you know, Derrick Henry is still kind of banged up. Mm. If you see that happening, I would go for Rogers passing attempts over both of those play a similar angle in terms of how we see the Packers offense running, but it depends on how you view the Titans offense and how you want to play that. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just quickly going back to Ryan, yeah, he is killing the uh, defensive props. And my friend uh, Gerpal, who uh, comes on the Player Props podcast with me sometimes, is another one who's keyed into defensive props this season. Um, he did it a bit last season, to be honest, but team tackles and assists, absolutely been smashing them this season. I think I think he's hit a ridiculous 20 out of his last 25 tackles and assists uh, right. over-unders in games. I mean, he's absolutely on fire on them. Um, and it is a bit of a niche market. Uh, before I let you go, any other games sorry, that you wanted to speak about? Or are we okay with where we are? I think, I think yeah, I think those are my main main uh, stands for this week. We'll see see what happens by Sunday. But <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, obviously, uh, the late Sunday night game, I always like to touch on the Chiefs. Chiefs Chargers, big game. Chiefs win, puts them in a real, real strong position for at least the division being not there but very getting very close to to being there um any anything in that game any worries you'd have for the chiefs for being uh, being a fan of that um i mean it's not a great matchup the chargers are never a great matchup for them the way they play defense is, is specifically designed to to combat what Mahomes does if juju smith schuster is is out uh, with his concussion, that that can be you know a little bit of a problem. They're going to need Kadarius Tony to step up again, uh, who, who played very well last week. Yeah, I'm not really concerned uh, as a Chiefs fan, but but I mean it, it's a game they can lose, and especially if the Chargers get Keenan Allen back or some other guys healthy. Um, at this point, I I my Chiefs fandom is aligned with my 
MVP bet on Patrick Mahomes that I placed before the season started at at nine to one. I I placed some good money on that because I Mahomes shouldn't simply net. He's the best player in the NFL. He has been for the last five years or yeah, five years. And there's never, there's never a season that Mahomes should not be, you know, the the MVP favorite. And he wasn't. And so I was like, all right, give me some of that. Uh, We just need, just need them to keep winning and him to keep playing like he is. And, And I think that one's in the bag. Definitely, yeah, and uh, the recent uh, performances of Josh Allen and uh, Jaleen Hurts has definitely helped go that. He's he's obviously at the minute hot favourite, so yeah, fingers crossed for as a Chiefs fan and uh, as for your bet, yeah, definitely. Uh, So where can people find you? Yeah, at Sharp Clark NFL, uh, Clark with an E, the the English way. (laughs) (laughs) I Uh, spelled it wrong last time you were on, so uh, I need to make sure I sort it out this time. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Yeah, at Sharp Clock NFL on Twitter, I I post random stuff on there. You know, uh, I, I took on the whole uh, Vegas nose nonsense today in a thread. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not one of the I don't post a lot of in game stuff because I'm usually watching the film you know pretty hard. But I try to post more detailed analysis and and some handicapping stuff on there. Yeah, definitely. No, you post great stuff. Honestly, you were uh, definitely. It's always threads don't get involved too much probably a bit above my head some of it but uh but he said it's how we all learn and, and i cannot say that i've not I've, I've learned a fair bit from yourself in the last few months of just getting to know you following you uh talking on here um really good really good stuff and i really like the way you work um uh, so yeah and chiefs fan and from england i mean it could couldn't be any better. So, uh, it cheers, Russ. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, definitely. No, uh, keep smashing it. Keep doing what you do. Hopefully, you have another great end towards the season. And thank yeah. you for giving me your time coming on. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'll be back, whether hopefully with Player Props podcast um, Saturday night and uh, continue. Been on a good run of form on the Player Props podcast. So, hopefully, we'll continue that. and next week thanksgiving day so i've got a nice big guest lined up as well for that so look forward to listening speaking to him and yourselves listening thanks everyone sharp clock again thank you cheers <laughs>